Welcome to Spiritual Naturalism Today, a conversation on science, nature, and spirituality. Our program is sponsored by the Spiritual Naturalist Society with host Daniel Strain. Hello, and thanks for listening. I'm joined by my co-host, B.T. Newberg. Hello. And today we will be interviewing our special guest, Thomas W. Clark. Hi, Daniel. Good to be here. Thanks. And um, on the topic, our topic today will be naturalism and the search for truth, transcendence, and meaning. Tom Clark is founder and director of the Center for Naturalism and creator of naturalism.org, which is among the web's most comprehensive resources on worldview naturalism, its implications and applications. He is author of Encountering Naturalism, A Worldview and Its Uses, and he lectures on science, naturalism, ethics, free will, consciousness, and related philosophical and social concerns. You can learn more at naturalism.org, and Encountering Naturalism is also available in the SNS Amazon store, which we will link to on this episode's page at spiritualnaturalistsociety.org. Tom, thank you so much for coming today. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Well, um, very good to be with you and Brendan. So thanks for having me. So um, before we get into the nitty-gritty of our topic, I, I wanted to just, uh, for the for our audience, uh, you know, ask you a little bit about how how you got into this and and how you started the uh, Center for Naturalism and your book and all of that kind of thing. Well, uh, I'll try to keep it brief, but I was exposed after college to the writings of a, a East-West philosopher named Alan Watts, who you may have heard of. Yes. And, oh yes. Uh, I, and he was a kind of a rascal, but he was also very smart, a great speaker, and I was entranced by his interpretation of Eastern philosophy for Western audience and uh, read his books uh, avidly and got into Buddhism and meditation and for a while was very much interested in the sort of Eastern approach to enlightenment as sort of a solution, the ultimate solution to one's, one's problems and discovered that no, that wasn't going to work. I got interested in Western philosophy, studied under Dan Dennett at Tufts University for a while and discovered that the Western tradition had a lot in common in certain respects uh, um, in the philosophy of mind to Buddhism and Eastern philosophy. And through that sort of combination, uh, uh, developed my own encounter with what became worldview naturalism, naturalism as, as we'll get into it, uh, I think your listeners will probably know, as opposed to supernaturalism. Um, so... Those two influences, East and West, com uh, combined in me, and uh, through the study of things like addiction and behavioral health uh, from a naturalistic perspective, I uh, got more and more into uh, developing naturalism as a worldview that applies to not just, uh, say, spiritual uh, or existential concerns, but to the whole gamut of human concerns. Um, and then uh, started the Center for Naturalism thinking that there there should be, but there wasn't at that point, a, a center um, or specific study of naturalism as a worldview, a science-based worldview. And so naturalism.org actually started back in 1998, so it's been around for quite a while, uh, and continues, uh, continue to add material to it, um, both my own and other people's. And then... Uh, uh, 
as you guys know, there's there's there are many aspects to naturalism. And I'm very pleased that that the Spiritual Naturalist Society is is exploring the spiritual side of of a naturalistic worldview. That's terrific. Even though some people, of course, have a, a problem with the word spirituality. Mm, yes. <laughs> but we, yeah. we can no, debate nobody, that. Nobody has that problem ever. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So it, it's, it's been a long road, but uh, a very satisfying one and continues to develop. Um, <clears throat> but uh, so there, there are many sides to naturalism and many uh, twists and turns in, in terms of my own story about how I got into it. But uh, that, that's a brief. Thumbnail. Oh, that's wonderful. So, what kinds of things does the center do? Is it mainly a uh, collecting together um, writings and works and thoughts along these lines? Yeah, it's meant to sort of uh, bring together people like yourselves and, and others who are not necessarily spiritually inclined uh, to look to write and think and interact about naturalism as a worldview, specifically naturalism. Uh, as we know, there's a lot of talk about atheism and humanism and skepticism and free thought. Naturalism really isn't on the radar too much these days, although more and more, I'm happy to say, and I want to mention right here, uh, physicist Sean Carroll has got a new book out called The Big Picture, which is really about naturalism as a worldview uh, from his perspective as a physicist. It's a, it's a wonderful book. Uh, I highly recommend it. So that's coming out, and it is directed to broadening uh, and, and encouraging the understanding of naturalism as a worldview. Uh, so that's great. Uh, we need more of that. But that's what, that's what the Center for Naturalism is, is about. And naturalism.org, which you mentioned up front, is really where the action is in terms of new material that's being added, uh, discussion and, and all of that. That's wonderful. Uh, I know that... I'm sorry, uh, BT, I think I interrupted you. What no, was that? No. <laughs> sorry. Uh, yeah, I was just saying it was a big influence on me, um, reading Tom's stuff on naturalism.org. Um, it was when I was trying to explore that for myself and figure out my naturalistic spirituality, like it was one of the first places that I discovered that had a really kind of coherent um, presentation. And yes. also just a clean design. <laughs> not, not that that makes like a, a huge difference, but it kind of it just gives off a good aura. <laughs> it's nice warm wow. colors and stuff. Well, well, thank you for that compliment. I mean, I, I think aesthetics has a lot to do with how how things actually get absorbed, mm -hmm. and uh, so a clean design that that um, I take that as a high compliment. Thank you, Brendan. <laughs> I come from an art background, and and, and I agree. I think that the. Uh, it tells people what your it's it's your basically your 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 visual facial expression as you're presenting these things. Yeah. So um, yeah, I was going to say that it influenced me a lot too. I I think your pages on spirituality on naturalism.org uh, were definitely one of the things I read along with as well. Your book Encountering Naturalism. When was that book written? That was 2007. Gosh, almost uh, 10 years ago, and I really want to revise it and, and expand it. Uh, mm. Got to get around to doing that because uh, some of my views have changed a little bit since then. Mostly not, but but some have. Uh, I hope in in a more mature, uh, encompassing way. So that's a project that I, I I hope to get around to at some point. Oh, we'll look forward to that. All right. Well, let's uh, let's talk about truth, transcendence, and meaning. Those are Big, big things, and uh, 
BT pointed out before we got started that those are, are huge, huge things to approach, uh, especially in the time we have. But uh, why don't uh, you gave a, you gave us an excellent summary of what each of these, what you mean by each of these? Why don't, why don't we? Look? Yeah. Well, I hope you guys recorded it because I don't think I can replicate it. No, no, no. Um. <laughs> I think I think what Daniel's trying to ask is, Tom, what is the meaning of life? Right. That, that would be great. Well, well, first of all, you know what I'd like to say is that I really appreciate the SNS, Spiritual Naturalist Society, um, for doing what you're doing. Because you're connecting naturalism as an orientation with spirituality. And as much as that might strike some people as ox, uh, oxymoronic, uh, because spirituality is often connected with dualism, what you're showing is that, and I've tried to show as well, that actually it's overcoming dualism that's this, the key to an authentic, satisfying, and truthful spirituality. Yes. Right? Because mm-hmm. Absolutely. The, the, the supernaturalist idea about spirituality is that we have a higher immaterial self that can connect with ultimate reality, and the material world is sort of second class. And that's really too bad because. We are material creatures, after all, even though we have mental states and consciousness. But we're, we're physical through and through. And so a spiritual naturalism, the way you are presenting it and the way I tried to present it, is really to say, no, we can be completely naturalistic in our orientation and still address the questions of that uh, spirituality is concerned with, uh, what we can call existential questions. Hmm. So truth, I think, is central to the spiritual quest because... After all, what we want to know in, in, in the existential domain is what we're ultimately engaged in. Who, who are we essentially? What is our situation truthfully? Right. That's the truth. You know, if, if we, we don't embark on a spiritual quest supposing that we want to be deceived, we want to get to the bottom of things as we can best understand it. So, the, you know, it's not... We shouldn't be embarrassed to talk about truth with a capital T because when push comes to shove in our lives, we really want to know what's up if we have, you know, if we're curious. Um, sadly, many people can't get there. They don't have the time or energy to address this question. But even then, it can become the idea of what the truth of one's situation is can be and sometimes just forces it upon yourself, you know, at moments like facing someone's death or your own death or, or mm. having an existential crisis, you can, you can be driven to know why and what is this all about. So what is the truth? So that's the truth uh, as sort of a quest uh, from a naturalistic standpoint. And, and naturalism takes science as our best way of knowing about what is the case. And it's a, it's a tough road. And, and you, you guys should obviously interrupt me if I'm going to carry on too much here but <laughs> <laughs> no I, I think i really love the way that you uh you, you said it's a quest it, truth is not a possession it's a quest nor a destination yeah and and that's the thing is like everybody likes to talk about truth but uh i think the the thing about a naturalistic worldview is that it forces you to uh to understand that Truth is the goal, but it's it's not. Uh, you know, there's so many pitfalls along the way that it it cries out for humility. As yeah, we truth. right. We did a whole episode on the uh, humble approach to knowledge related to that. Yeah. <laughs> Good. 
cognitive humility is is one way that I sometimes put it, um, and cognitive responsibility to the truth as we best understand stand our reliable ways of knowing what's real and. Here, I think science just does not have a rival, and naturalism, a worldview naturalism, is based in a scientific, empirical approach to understanding what's, what is the case out there. That is, we want intersubjective evidence, we don't trust our personal experience, we don't trust hearsay, sacred texts, um, intuition, uh, gurus, or anything like that. Tom, if I can, uh, if I can just interject yeah, by intersubjective evidence, what you mean is what you said right after that, right? That that we don't just trust our own intuition. That that's what that means, right? Right. We what what do we trust? We we trust evidence that's observable by other agents that we interact with. So we so our experience, our opinions, and our observations get corroborated by other by our peers. Um, and the way we take evidence is is on. Uh, we don't suppose that it isn't revisable that there could always be something further that might change our view about something. But, so that's the, the humility in front of the evidence that we, we assume. But mm-hmm. it's also the case that we're not barred from making uh, fairly substantive uh, uh, conclusions about what is the case based on, on the evidence in hand. So, to wit, there is no supernatural realm as far as we can tell. There's right. no... <laughs> There's no deep division in reality between the natural and the supernatural. That's sort of a a very well substantiated truth that we can assert right now, given all the evidence, all the empirical evidence. So one of the things that I like to uh, do is um, I, I like to pay attention to how language is used to to set the stage or to establish the norms. And so um, very often a... Uh, a a supernatural, natural dichotomy kind of sets up this situation. It sets the stage where you're left with sounding like you're denying. But I'd rather look at it from the point of view of um, naturalism is this view that everything is one integrated whole. There's not a a wall down the middle. I think there's a beauty to that. And I think it's important that we be able to see the beauty because I guess this moves into the the second of our three things. But, uh, you know, with truth, you have a whole bunch of facts. And so everything we've been talking about, the the skeptical approach, the uh, scientific approach, there's a lot of organizations and a lot of work being done. It's already been done in these areas um, and still yet to do. But... uh, but what we like to focus on at SNS is is what comes next. You know, you take these building blocks of these facts, and now how do we respond to them? And so I think the second word in our in our topic, transcendence, may be really a, uh, a really fascinating one to hear what naturalists have to say about transcendence, given a, a unified, one whole reality. Yeah, nice segue, Daniel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's that's perfect. Exactly. That that's the big thing about it, right? Is because uh, so many people look at the the dichotomy, look at naturalism, and think, oh, naturalism, no God. So this is this is all. This is it. And it sounds so small, <laughs> but no, it, it's it's really really big. Like we are like one with the whole universe, right? As Nat Neil deGrasse Tyson likes to say, like like. It, 
I look at the cosmos and it makes me feel huge because I'm connected to everything, gen like genetically, chemis mm -hmm. chemically, atomically. Um, I, I, I'm huge. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I, I think you, that's absolutely right on. And uh, so, so the, the naturalistic worldview situates us in this incomprehensibly vast structure manifold of what might be a multiverse we'll call it the cosmos right we don't really have an idea of, of its complete dimensions but we know that it's uh, astoundingly large that we're just a very small part of it and that's what's what's so wonderful about the the scientific picture that naturalism is built on is that it does situate us in something that so far outstrips the human uh, the human dimension. Uh, it's an impersonal situation to be situated in. But that, to me, is actually one of the exciting things about naturalism. One of the exciting things about the scientific worldview is that we're put inside of this unimaginably and very mysterious, uh, ultimately, situation of being part of a naturally evolved cosmos that, that cannot be pinned down with any ultimate purpose or significance that's of a human dimension. It's really to, we're, we're demanding of the universe something that it, that it really can't supply. Um, so the <laughs> yeah. way, so the way right. I like to put it is, uh, if, if the supernaturalist is worried that the naturalist can't supply a kind of meaning, a, a human scale meaning, well, sorry, but that's the cool thing about being naturalism, that it, it goes far beyond our sort of meager human demand and shows us to be really in the midst of something that uh, outstrips our, our imaginations, our, even our understanding. Um, but of course, we get there by true scientific understanding and we meet this kind of inscrutable existential wall uh, which rebuffs our demand for ultimate meaning. So the just to get back to transcendence, what, what happens is that we find ourselves, our little human selves, as you said, completely connected into something that I think inevitably transcends the demand for meaning, so that we're not in an absurd universe, we're in something that transcends the meaning, meaningful, meaningless distinction. So that's one kind of transcendence. The other transcendence, of course, is that we are part of something that's just much, much larger. And we grow out of it, and every single moment right now, even as we're speaking, we're participating in it in a way that we cannot extricate ourselves. So there's a kind of transcendence there, too. I, I think it's a, the, the connection, the deep connection, is a kind of transcendence. But of course, this is the whole experiential part as well uh, of spiritual experience, which I know you guys are investigating. I think that's why the Buddhists... Uh tended to gravitate eventually toward the ego in, because they also have a, more of an impersonal sort of cosmic view. And so uh, it, it, it naturally makes you start to question, well, maybe it's not that nature is small. Maybe it's that my, my little concerns, I need to transcend that. I yeah. need to transcend my own small little cage of an ego and connect and reach out greater and have a, a larger view. Uh, yeah, good point, Daniel. And, and you know, it, 
it can sound kind of highfalutin when we talk about it in terms like that, like like a like a Buddhist would have talking about ego or there being no self. But we we all kind of get this experience now and then. Um, there's a a really good passage in Ursula Goodenough's book, uh, The Sacred Depths of Nature, that describes basically the same experience really well. Um, there's a passage where she's relating how she was uh, on her laying on her back looking up at the stars in the sky and just felt just so overwhelmed because she felt like such a tiny and insignificant being uh, in the wake of this huge vast cosmos that couldn't possibly care about her and her concerns and and it was just it was it was kind of just a uh, mortifying weight on her and it reminded me of of the feeling that mystics sometimes describe rudolf Otto describes it as creature feeling as you just feel like this just like tiny disgusting little you know growth that shouldn't be there in the universe somehow but and and that's a totally valid experience but the the expansion of and the growth of your of yourself your character development it's when you can push through that and then see okay yeah i i I am really small i mean I, i you know but i'm also something so much larger you know, there's the small self, and that's me. That's my biographical self. It's me, my consciousness, my memory. It's what will die when when my body perishes. But I am also connected to everything else. Everything else is given birth to me. After I die, my body and my will decompose. My atoms will go out and become something else. And there's it's just this continuum of being that really is, in that sense, the big self. You are the cosmos. And that's where you have a different kind of transcend. It's no longer the creature feeling, but this sense, this sense of the uh, the big self, the this oceanic merger with something greater than the small you. Yeah, uh, one, one way I like to think about this is is that most of life we're embedded in what could be called, could be called the ordinary, uh, ordinary life, and we take it for granted. And that's how life is most of the time. But what a, an encounter with a spirituality, like a naturalistic spirituality, can do is to vault us out of the ordinary into, into the, the extraordinary uh, in terms of feeling connected the way you just described it. And also to, to put our, our human concerns in, in a much larger context that can sort of make them palatable, make make actually take the curse off of life in some respects, <laughs> you know? Um, so I, I think this is one of the things that uh, addressing spirit existential concerns can do is really to make our ordinary lives easier, more manageable. Um, we, we can learn to accept and, and to inhabit them more wisely by addressing these existential concerns. And unfortunately, not everyone gets to do that. But So we are lucky in yes. being able to to address these questions. And so in terms of transcendence, again, it's that our, the little self and its concerns can be, you know, from time to time, seen in this larger context. And that can have a, a direct emotional and psychological impact on us that can then feed back into ordinary life, which I think was one of the, the Buddha's goal, right, was to really to deal with pain, to deal with alienation and suffering and, and death by a, by going very deeply into the question of what it meant to be alive and conscious and and 
in the world. And that's, I think, what we're trying to do here from a strictly naturalistic perspective. Mm -hmm. And it can have the same kind of value and the same kind of um, resonance and, and meaning um, uh, that the supernaturalist uh, approaches can have. But I, but I think the, the advantage, getting back to truth, is that it is true. We don't have to deceive ourselves. Mm. We don't have to engage in wishful thinking uh, yeah. or illusions. And that's, that's, to me, one of the wonderful things about science and naturalism. One of the big breakthroughs, I think, of, of spiritual naturalism is that it, it's a spirituality and a spiritual set of spiritual practices whereby we don't look to uh, our spirituality as a source of facts um, or claims. Mm-hmm. Instead, it, uh, very often a, a spiritual practice is about cultivating perspectives on those on those facts um, and what we're going to value and what we're not. And one of the things that's really instructive to me or really, really make drives the point home for me is, is when I notice things like um, one day I'll get up and I'll go out in my car and I'll drive somewhere and the little things that happen along the way are incredibly aggravating. Uh, somebody not going as fast as they should or, <laughs> stubbing my toe on the door or whatever it is, you know. And then other days, those same exact events can take place and it's no big deal because I'm in a different mindset. Um, And so a big part of of spiritual practice is learning to know yourself and understand what's going on in your own mind and learning to direct your attention and toward your judgments that you make about those facts and the value judgments you place on them and why you place those value judgments and what effect that has on your flourishing. Yeah, and and also we should probably point out for people who are listening to us for the first time that this stuff that we're talking about right now is what we mean by spirituality, uh, by that Mm -hmm. term. We're talking about this kind of um, growth, connectedness, sense of meaning. That's what we mean by spirituality in the spiritual natural society. Right. It isn't anything dualistic or airy-fairy. Exactly. It's, it's, it's quite concrete and, and this world oriented. So that's great. And so more power to you uh, for that. Um, but I, I have to say, for, for me, taking the big perspective, what Sean Carroll's book, his title is The Big Picture, taking the big picture view of ourselves really does help uh, in mm-hmm. dealing with the, with the everyday aggravations. It, it, it really helps to have this cognitive context within which to put things in perspective. Mm. Um, it doesn't always work, of course. I mean, there's no magic bullet here. Um, you know, if you don't have enough to eat for a long enough time, if, if, if you get uh, beaten up or uh, aggressed on too much, you're, you're not, no amount of philosophy or, or, or a mantra is going to save you. But, <laughs> um, but for, most of our, for much of our lives, it really does help to have this kind of resource, uh, the cognitive context of, 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 of naturalism, to apply to, to apply to one's life uh, such that things are easier to take, and not just easier, but can, can actually lead to uh, transcendent experience, for instance, for instance when meditating. So mm. I think, I think a, a spiritual naturalism can give you a kind of resilience, because you're not wedded to any falsehoods, at least as far as we know. You're not going to be disappointed. You're sort of uh, pre, uh, 
armored against disappointment in a way because you've stripped yourself of any any kind of demand for uh, reassurance. It's a kind of tough view, but it uh, I really think it does uh, it has lots of virtues for those who uh, can find that they can stick with with science <laughs> and naturalism, and that's, that's not always so easy. That's wonderful. I I'm really inspired by the the all of the different possibilities. There's so many different rich traditions that we've already have depths of uh, wisdom to draw from. And then we also have modern studies going on today about the mind and about happiness. And uh, there's just so much to to learn that I, I like to remind people that part of the practice is building your practice, um, especially for a spiritual naturalist uh, since you know, this kind of a new direction emerging uh, in our society, at least. And uh, so, yeah, what, what is, it all together is is part of the exploration. Yeah, speaking of practice, you know, uh, I, I meditate occasionally, not not regularly. Um, I find sitting and inquiring the mind to be a good practice, but I don't suppose it's a direct route to any kind of... Um, uh, perception of reality in itself because after all it's, it's experience but um perhaps the, you guys could say something about what you think of as spiritual practice and i could react to it well um the way i put it it in the most uh mean gross and plain terms as possible is like it's cultivating good mental habits simple as that is what it is and that that's how i basically describe it in the sns course that we have um, you know, uh, you can have uh, you can have the big picture cognitive context, and you can understand it at a cerebral level. Um, but and and but you've got habits that you've cultivated throughout a whole lifetime, um, and that's how your life tends to flow. Unless you break those habits by by practicing to change them. And uh, meditation is one way. There's lots of other ways, but um, it's it's just training your mind to think differently, training yourself to behave differently, and to put forward a different um, life stance. That's how I think about practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I I like what you when you when you touched on the uh, difference between knowing something and actually you know going about your life in that way. Very often we see these little memes or things on social media, these inspirational posters with the sunsets and the the nice pretty quote from some source and it seems inspiring and it's true and we go, yes, I need to remember that. And then real life happens and we blow up or we get angry or we worry or we get fearful and then we have to go back to those quotes and remind ourselves again and we have to keep doing that and then we're so it's like we say we agree with it but then why does our mind not follow and act mm-hmm. that way and so you can actually transform yourself over time to where you do naturally react that way as you, as those what what's kind of a surface intellectual knowledge about the big picture gets more deeply ingrained over time and one of the ways that it gets more deeply ingrained i think uh, one of the types of practices that I like are, are a category of practices you could say called rituals. And um, 
there are various, you know, plethora of ritual types. But for me, uh, part of what's important about ritual is that you're you're constructing a uh, an encounter or an event or a uh, experience that will touch on more than just the intellectual part of your mind, but touch on the emotional and your memories and the poetic and the um, artistic and creative parts of your mind. And by touching all of these different parts of the network, it, it more deeply um, it allows you to uh, grok the idea to really get uh, the perspectives in a way where you thought you understood them before. And then there's that aha epiphany and you feel mm -hmm. like you've kind of, reached a new plateau in your understanding and it starts to really affect how you naturally respond to different events that were challenging before. Yeah. Well, that all makes, makes good sense to me. I, I'm, I'm thinking that there are cer certain goals involved that in terms of a practice, trying to get to say a kind of equanimity, um, compassion, uh, certain kinds of experiences, uh, deep uh, experiences of, of, say, acceptance and meaning, of uh, an, an ability to deal with tough situations and, and also an ability to really deeply enjoy positive situations. So they're, mm -hmm. they're kind of they're practical goals that feed back into ordinary life that, that a naturalistic spirituality is really aimed at. Um, so that's what the practice is for. So it, it Practice being uh, aimed at practical things, I guess you'd say. But again, it's it's in this very broad context of a of a worldview uh, where you the touchstone is staying connected to a uh, the truth as as we first talked about it, where you're, we're trying to stay undiluted about our situation. And, and I think the Buddha very much thought. And was aimed at trying to stay undiluted about our psychological situation and also our existential situation as he saw it. Of course, mm. there were certain you know, issues about uh, he wasn't completely scientific in <laughs> how could he be? Uh, but he, I, he, the Buddha was very, very empirical about looking at human psychology, though, and human experience. And, and that's why meditation, I think, is so valuable. Uh, not because it's a route to ultimate truth, but because it really is a, a, a way to look at our own experience truthfully and mm -hmm. to see what arises and also find experiences um, that are, are quite marvelous. So I do recommend a meditative practice to people. Um, That's so the, uh, we wanted to talk about meaning. I think that was the, the last word. I don't know how much time we have. Um, yeah, we're right near the end of our time. And um, I think a lot of this flow has already flowed well into meaning. Um, did you have any uh, final words about meaning before we wrap up? Well, I think I sort of touched on this near the start, which is we can't construe existence as a whole as having uh, a meaning or purpose because uh, meanings and purposes uh, are assigned by an intelligent agent on things. And we do it all the time. And in ordinary life, we, we try to assign meanings. Well, we assign meaning to things all the time. We find life meaningful or not, depending on whether we're satisfied with what we're doing. And, and then we take that question and we apply it to life itself. We say, well, what's the meaning of it all? And then we find ourselves rebuffed because there isn't any apparent meaning 
from a scientific naturalistic standpoint. And that is something that I think we that actually is refreshing. It can yes. be the source of existential astonishment, as I like to put it, a kind of open-ended amazement at our situation, which I think is is really pretty pretty cool. It's a, yeah, it's, it's a liberating. Yeah, it's a it's far more interesting, uh, even if it's unsettling, far more interesting than, than most um, supernaturalist religions have to offer. So, me, we find local meanings all the time. I'm I'm finding this a very meaningful conversation. The problem of meaning, of me, of meaning has been solved for me. Uh, over this past half hour quite nicely. So thank you all. <laughs> Sol- solved. Just solved. Yep. Nah. solved. We got that, well, folks. We're done. <laughs> Turn off the yeah, podcast like now. To, uh, the, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's also inspiring to know that we are the meaning makers. And um, that's like, you know, it's like a power we have is we get to decide what the meaning of things are. And I like to think of it also in terms of uh, formal logic. If you were to convert words into formal logic, you'd see that um, meaning is to say, what is the meaning of X? It's kind of, that's a meaningless statement in itself. Because to me, there's a pair. Have you ever heard of the if-then statement? You know, if mm-hmm. this, then that. If okay. if X, then one, so on and so on. Yeah. You would never say if something and then just stop there. It's always if this, then. The, the if and then are a pair, a logical pair. So to me, the the meaning thing is half of a logical pair. It's always meaning to. Right. The meaning yeah. of this to that, you know. Right. Uh, just to say it has meaning is, uh, you know, incomplete statement. It's like looking for some kind of... Um uh, effluvia or, or special spiritual substance, like spiritual in the in the like uh, <laughs> cloud in the sky, kind of kind of spiritual sort of thing, Some, something uh, beyond. Yeah. Okay. Right. Right. In other words, the, 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 it always relates back to a some kind of intelligence, some kind of of desire for uh, purpose or activity. That relates to an agent, like you know, we're human agents, yeah. and they're good. Uh, so, yeah, I, th- I think that's absolutely right. And we're, what we're not going to find is a meaning external to our demand for it, pasted on existence as a whole. Um, we're not going to find it there, and our demand for that is going to be we're not going to find it met. But it doesn't mean that the demand, the demand for meaning, uh, doesn't get satisfied in, in all sorts of ways in our lives uh, that's uh, that's what happens with us and it's it's a good thing we can find meaning in 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 wonderful things and in tragic things too uh, so there it is it's the uh, folk catastrophe as, as over the week put it well tom thank you so much for your time again uh we're always it always feels with these kind of topics uh that uh you know, they could go on and on and on. It never feels like we have time, but uh, that's a good thing. So I really appreciate you being with us today. Well, it's been a real pleasure to talk with you. Um, very meaningful for me, I hope for you, and I hope for our listeners. And so thanks very much, and, and do keep up the great work at the SNS. I, I really appreciate what you're doing. Thanks so much. Thank you. That means a lot. And thank you all for listening. Um, please check out our other episodes on our website at spiritualnaturalistsociety.org. And uh, until next time, we hope you have a wonderful month. Yep. And check out our uh, course as well. We have a course, 
And uh, it focuses a whole lot on what we've been talking about today, a whole lot on meaning. Yes, goes into a lot more depth on it. So thank you for that. And uh, thank you, BT, for joining us, too. Thank you. This program was sponsored by the Spiritual Naturalist Society. Learn more and become a member at spiritualnaturalistsociety.org. Our music was composed by John Clemisrud. Jay Forrest is our technical director. Please share our program and join us next time on Spiritual Naturalism Today.